count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. It's time for another episode of the Wooten and Why Show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Woot and Why Show. I am Josh Wine for the second straight week. I'm joined on the show by our wonderful guest co-host RJ Ochoa. You can follow him on Twitter at RJ Ochoa. He's the host of Ocho Live. He's a worker for ESPN San Antonio. He's an insider there, a writer for Blogging the Boys, and just an all-round good dude. What is up, man? What's happening in where are you, San Antonio? That's correct. Yeah, uh, the SA, the two one zero, as uh, as I like to call it. Okay. It's uh, it's a little it's a little cold here. Winter finally starting to arrive, um, and uh, I feel quite minty. My my favorite sort of taste of the holiday season is peppermint, and I've gone far too all out this season. Uh, and I've I think I've overdone it, and I've had a lot of peppermint as of late. Interesting. Peppermint is like my toothpaste flavor or my mints. That's it. Uh... I don't understand. What else can you put peppermint in? Well, so like Starbucks does peppermint mochas. So you could do like peppermint mocha, peppermint hot chocolate, uh, peppermint cookies, peppermint bark. Um, wow. You know, sorts, those sorts of treats. I, I enjoy the peppermint kick. Um, and I enjoy it as a smell, too. We, we have a lot of candles that are, are similar to that scent. Wow. It's not where I was thought this podcast would be heading to start the <laughs> show very peppermint heavy, but... Uh, Week 13, it's in the books. Uh, we have a 10-2 and logjam atop the AFC and the NFC. We'll get to that in a minute. Just a reminder as well for those uh, people who listen to the show regularly, iTunes reviews. If you could uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a review, any review dated in 2017, so you don't have much time left, but please leave a review. Um, every review that we get in 2017 will go into a... Uh, a random generator, and we'll pick one user, and that person will receive signed merchandise. So please, please check that out. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Um, please give us a review, and we will check that out. Um, and you know, if you've used your email address, use your girlfriends, use your moms, use your friends. Just give make us some reviews. Make, yeah, a make a new make one. Make a new one. It's, it's so easy. It signed takes merchandise. Seconds. You could get your yeah. You could get your favorite player. You could get you know a Tariq Cohen signed jersey because that's everyone's favorite player is Tariq Cohen right now. Um, also, a reminder as well, uh, if you live in Sydney, this applies to a very niche uh, audience, but if you're in Sydney, please uh, check out the Lunar Bowl. Um, it's our Super Bowl event held at Lunar Park, the iconic uh, seaside Sydney Harbour venue and theme park. Um, please check that out. The second ever Lunar Bowl, $150 per person. You get four and a half hours of free alcohol um, and beer. Um, you get an American food buffet. There's a pregame sale gate cruise in sydney harbour and you get a free beer on arrival there you get a 25 inch hot dog as well souvenir hat and study Whoa. holder yep unlimited rides for the day at luna park as well and you get uh, a, a ticket in the raffle for i think there's going to be a signed tom brady jersey up for grabs um as well so please check that out and the money race in the raffle um goes to a charity called save our sons um so please check all that out um it's been moved to the big top at Luna Park, so we've already sold 400 tickets, but we need to sell 
more because the bigger it is at Big Top, the better it is. That sounds incredible. I I mean, I don't know what I'm doing for the Super Bowl, but I have to reconsider. A 25-inch hot dog? Yeah, 25-inch hot dog. What do you reckon? Well, respect on using inches because I know that you know uh, that our system over here is the far superior one. Uh, That's incredible. (laughs) You're the only one in the world that still uses inches, by the way. Well, you're the one who said it, not me. That's how your that's how your food is. is well, it's, it's an American so, I mean, it's an American hey. football event, so we have to have to do it in American football. So, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, plus I'm it just sounds this. bigger. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, before we move on, what's your favorite thing from Week 13 in the National Football League? Man, um, you know, uh, a friend of mine, actually two friends of mine, uh, Wooten Y. You know, you don't know them. Um, they had a tweet. Uh, during the Jets Chiefs game, that was something something to the effect of "Be right back!" Snorting this Jets Chiefs game, um, <laughs> and that game was so incredible. I mean, just and those games are the best because they're the most unpredictably incredible. I mean, if you had told me before that day started that the game of the day would have been the Jets and the Chiefs, I mean, I would have obviously had a hard time believing it. Um, Josh McCown, sort of an unloved man. That was uh, that was my favorite thing. Um, he's definitely not unloved for me. I've been um, touting that everyone keeps talking about how Tom Brady plays at his age. How about Josh McCowan? The guy's suffered like 27 bazillion concussions, and he's still playing at an elite level at his age. I want a Josh McCowan 15 cookbook. I want to I want to go on the JM15 method. Um, that's, well, get, that's what I'm get going. One of the, get one of the jerseys, and you can be in the photo with his daughter and all her friends. You know, that's, that's where the, the real value is here. Yeah, that is true. By the way, that tweet you referenced, snorting this Jets-Chiefs game, got zero likes yes. or retweets. I can't believe that. I, I thought it was that game was pure cocaine. I thought it was amazing. It was, it was hilarious in in the moment. Just the, yeah. And maybe it was me individually, the way I was feeling. It was just so funny. I'm retweeting it right now again. I don't care. Out of context, that's fine. Um, my favorite thing was probably the was two things involving flags. Um, and then I finally saw someone... Meshed the two together in a highlight video yesterday, and I lost my, like, it was just, it was so good. I, yeah, I had to blot out my swear word there, but I, it was amazing. So Marcus Peters, obviously frustrated in that Jets-Chiefs game. Um, he threw a flag into the stands, and then Alex Mack got hit in the head with a penalty flag and took a massive flop. Um, so someone merged those together into a video because it looked like Marcus Peters just threw that flag into the sky. Um, and then the video shows a flag hitting Alex Mack in the head. But the whole Marcus Peters thing was funny. He, like, ejected himself. I thought he thought he was going to get ejected. And then he comes back on the field and he's got no socks on. Um, I thought that was – I want to know where his socks are. I – thought that was so interesting because people were saying you know in the aftermath i've never seen this before while i agree with you it was incredible we've totally seen this before bart scott the infamous can't wait jet of all people yep. he he threw a flag in uh in riot against your your man tom brady and the 2007 patriots in a game that was on monday night football we totally seen people throw flags before yeah it's just people have short memories but i just i just loved um the people taking selfies in the stands um, with the photos, um, a couple of Tariq Cohen's mates who are taking photos of uh, themselves with the uh, with the flags and their yarmulkes. So, I, uh, it was I, cool. That that flag belongs in the Smithsonian. That's where it needs to go. <laughs> Definitely. All right, let's move on. Talking tidbits. All right, for the second straight week, our talking tidbits involves the 
New York football giants, the fortnight from hell continues. So the giants, they fired coach Ben McAdoo. They also fired Jerry Reese. Um, so pretty much following the disastrous mishandling of Eli Manning's benching, it become clear that, and, and I had to use the Roto World blog here. Um, I think maybe Roto Pat wrote it, which is, you know, one of the better, uh, blurb writers. He said it became clear that all the hair gel in the world was not going to save McAdoo's job. I thought that was a great mm. sentence there. Um, so the while, while the coach did shepherd the team to a playoff berth last season, I think we, people don't remember that they won a lot of close games last year and the regression to the mean has taken place this year. I just don't think it was going to be as severe as, as it has been, but those obviously the injuries are hard to overcome, but his offense has been dreadful, struggled, mightily and then he's had to suspend some players um, and there's some suggestions about locker room he'd lost the locker room all that sort of stuff but not a surprise at all to see Ben McAdoo fired it was strange honestly I mean I agree with you that it wasn't surprising but I also feel like it, it doesn't make sense and it almost makes Eli Manning getting benched be something that sort of happened in vain because how could if you're John Mara how could you allow Ben McAdoo with sort of his last breath uh, stain your perfect white dress. You know what I mean? I mean, if I mean, I, I think theoretically at that point that that Eli's bench, you kind of are all in. I, I just that that detail is is so confounding. It's confounding to me because John Mara had come out in his press conference, I think it was yesterday, and mentioned that um, McAdoo and Reese approached him about the whole Eli Manning thing, and he approved that. So now that he's a, and he said he probably wrongly. Um, and he's trying. He, he tried to take blame for it, Mara himself, to try to I don't know, take accountability for the entire Giants organization a little bit. But he, if he approved that and then ends up firing them anyway, it does seem like a waste of what that whole experiment was supposed to be. I still don't understand what they were trying to achieve with the benching of Eli. I, I guess it was McAdoo trying to save his job, but I, I just don't understand it at all. It's if I feel like there's only two ways that this can it could have logically ended. One is that Eli is benched and the Giants just carry out the remainder of the season, sort of limping to the end, and and then the, the end is realized and he's fired. Or at the time when Ben McAdoo sort of benches Eli Manning and the national outcry happens, I think the the best case scenario is John Mara at that point last week says, you know what, I am stepping over you. Eli is the starter this week. You are fired this week. That, I mean, at this point, you're, the drama exists. That's that's why this is honestly the most pointless result. This is the least logical. It makes no sense. Yep. And we'll move on. I, I do think McAdoo was going to get fired at the end of the year anyway, so it kind of just makes mm-hmm. it a little bit more of a mess now. I think they're just severing tires early. I, I don't know. It, it does. It is very messy. It's the, the most messiest way possible for this to be done. I think John Mara is quite embarrassed because I think he holds the organization in high regard, given what they've achieved, you know, in the Jerry Reese era. So all in all, like Reese, he finished up with a 90 to 82 record in two rings in his 11 year tenure. But, um, you know, the giants are normally one of the most patient organizations, but, um, I think changes had to be made here. I, I, I don't know why firing both at the same time would have, what, what they would have achieved. Maybe they want to see their replacement. I think his name's, uh, Kevin Abrams to see Mm -hmm. how he, uh, manages the team over the last month. But when you're, Whatever their record is, I think it's like, what is it, two wins now? I, I've mm-hmm. given up looking at their record because they're just so irrelevant. But uh, what, like, what is there to really manage? Like, you're just putting players on IR and signing people to your practice squad. There's not too much to be done here. Exactly. I mean, it's it just feels like like doing it 
just for the sake of doing it and, and, or, and for the sake of feeling better. And I guess if if you feel better that they're not in your building, I guess it, it is somewhat uh, you know positive. I do think it's interesting, and I know Kim Jones made this point on NFL Network. This this season felt kind of lost for the Giants the moment Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt in Cleveland in the preseason. Ever since then, it's just felt like there was this dark cloud over them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's a good point by by Kim. That's it. Did it did feel that way? And um, for me, I feel like all of this moves summing up. I think it's just the Giants trying to sell to their fan bases and audiences that they're changing that they. would they're not just sitting by and, and watching these losses rack up. They're actually actively trying to repair repair the franchise. But I don't understand what the difference is in doing it in week 14 as opposed to, you know, on Black Monday. So it just means that there's a lot more chopping and changing from in the last month because Spagnolo is not the long-term solution at head coach. Abrams might be the long-term solution at GM, but even then you're still going to have some changes in, in the next month anyway. It's, it's very interesting. And again... I mean, not not to defend McAdoo, I guess, but I, I don't know that, that Ben McAdoo deserves an enormous amount of blame. I mean, he absolutely does, don't get me wrong, but I, I think that Ben McAdoo certainly has a better resume than, than your guy, Chuck Pagano. You know, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Obviously, the Giants are such a patient organization. It is extremely uncharacteristic for, you know, them to have just cut ties with Ben McAdoo. I think you can you can kind of rationalize why this season has been so lost. You talk about Odell's injury, Brandon Marshall, you know, Dwayne Harris, the list goes on and on. I mean, there, there must be some universal agreement that the culture within the Giants is broken, and that's the truly fascinating thing. Yeah. Have you seen Ben McAdoo, though? Like, how can you get excited about this guy at all? Oh, I mean... I agree with you, but have you ever seen Eli Manning? I mean, that's that's yeah. kind of the giant way. Yeah, but his surname's Manning, so you know he's royalty. But he's football royalty. But Ben Mac, but Ben McAdoo worked with Aaron Rodgers. You touch Aaron Rodgers, you're golden forever. That is true. Oh, come back, Aaron. Um, all right, NFL oh. suspended. <laughs> NFL suspended Ravens corner Jimmy Smith for four games for violating the policy on performance enhancing drugs. It's actually pretty good timing for Smith. Um, who lost? Who was lost for the season with a torn Achilles last week? So he will reserve. He will serve his suspension on injured reserve and then be eligible to play at the start of next season, um, which I find a little bit funny and contradictory. But anyway, um, so first round of Marlon Humphrey should take over for Smith in the starting lineup. Uh, the reason I mention that is the Ravens they're in the the playoff hunt. Jimmy Smith's a big loss for them. Do you think they can overcome that uh, and still still manage to to be a playoff team? I certainly think that Smith's been good. defensively, yeah, I mean, Jimmy Smith is fantastic, but I, I, I think that defensively the Ravens can. If there's any element to the Baltimore Ravens that I trust in 2017, it's their defense. Obviously, Marlon Humphrey, a very talented player, the classic Alabama Aussie Newsome player. Um, but but I, I, I completely agree with you. It is kind of ridiculous that Jimmy Smith is allowed to serve a suspension while he's hurt. That seems awfully contradictory and kind of pointless. I mean, if if you if if Y was going to be suspended for six games or whatever, and you knew you had you had a, a, a surgery you were postponing till the off season, why not just do it then? Yeah. I mean, you know that, that that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that I don't know. We'll we'll get to rules in a minute. It just just seems a little bit crazy to me, but uh, I definitely agree with you. I think the Ravens' defense will be fine. That's probably the one position they could afford a loss. They've got some sneaky depth there. Right. I think Brandon Carr's playing pretty good as well. So. Um, that's, that's definitely, yeah, sorry, sorry, man, but, um, he's been okay, but, you know, it's, I don't think it's he, the Cowboys' fault, it's just, uh, the Ravens have got good s- safety cover. They are, 
I mean, you look at it, and you could kind of do this with different NFL teams and different positions. People say that, you know, Penn State is linebacker U. The Ravens are sort of the DBU of the NFL. I mean, maybe Seattle uh, sort of circle the last half decade or so, but the Baltimore Ravens, kind of the DBU. I, I, if, if you've played in the secondary for the Ravens, I trust you. Three-point stance. All right, three-point stance time. First point suspensions, ejections, and injuries. The ugly side of of football was on full display uh, this week. So some scary injuries to Ryan Shazier and Vontaze Perfect on Monday Night Football after one of the most disgusting late hits by Rob Gronkowski, who left uh, Tredavis White concussed, has put the NFL rulebook and player safety back in the national spotlight and conversation. Uh, RJ, what were your thoughts on on the week and, and all these suspensions and, and the NFL rules? Like... What what is a player going to do to get ejected these days? Well, you can get two personal fouls. That's the only thing I know that can automatically result in an ejection. And I say that, and I'm a big fan of of data, and I'm a big fan of of objectivity in anything. And so I think that there needs to be a black and white, definable point where if you cross that point, for example, two personal fouls, you're ejected. Um, it's it's the subjective nature of all this that obviously adds to all this confusion. It, it is it is really remarkable that Rob Gronkowski did what he did to Tredavious White and that he is suspended for one game. It, it is truly, actually difficult to fathom. Yep, it, it is. It it was one of the most... I watched it again on replay the next day, and I thought I overreacted on the day, but I watched it again. It, it's one of the worst <laughs> hits I've ever seen. It is so late. He leans onto his head with his with his elbow brace. Like, like he... He blatantly went out to injure another player late, not in a football motion, just because he couldn't get a flag. Like, that's just petty. And then he goes out of his way to make this grand apology, and now he's appealing his he appealed his suspension, which he lost, by the way, so he will miss that game. But the fact that he's serving a one-game suspension while Juju Smith-Schuster and George Ioka, who we're still waiting on his ruling, but I'll assume um, both of them are suspended a game. Smith-Schuster definitely is. That that is two totally different things for me. Juju's was a bad hit, and he did taunt after the after the play, and, and part part of that was because it was perfect. But his his was a football motion. His was between the whistles. It was it was it was a you know it was a bad hit, but it was it was a football motion. It's a split second thing. Gronk was Gronk was a few seconds late and deliberate. There's a clear difference there. What Gronk did is certainly one of the more malicious things of this nature that I think we've seen in quite some time. But you bring up Vontez Burfecht, who was the recipient of Juju Smith-Schuster's uh, unsportsmanlike move here. But that's that's where where I'm I'm so frustrated because Vontez Burfecht, that Chiefs game, you know, what was that three game suspension? I, I would argue that that's the sort of exact same thing that Juju Smith-Schuster did to him. Yep. Uh, and obviously both are, are not as flagrant as what Rob Gronkowski did. And then you you also consider just a week ago, you and I sat here. Um, and we talked about Aqib Talib and Michael Crabtree's suspension, and they were literally actually fighting one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so it, the NFL. I think the problem here is that the NFL is 100% purely a reactionary machine. Yep. It's just, oh, okay, well, who's who's pissed off? How do how do we smooth out this wrinkle? And they they just continue to step over themselves and defy their own levels of logic that nothing makes sense, uh, which is a point that I'm proud of Sean McDonough, who, by the way, looks a lot like King Candy 
from Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, a point that Sean McDonough was bringing up on Monday Night Football. <laughs> yeah, I thought McDonough was awesome yesterday. Uh, John Gruden, I think, is he on a one-off payment from Burfix Management, or is he on a retainer? I'm not sure, but he was, like, singing Vontae's Burfix praises all game. And But the fact that the football even made John Gruden um, pissed off and ashamed and, and disappointed and disgusted, um, speaking, I think, after the game, uh, he, like, that, that tells you how ugly the game was in relation to late hits and shots and, and how frustrating it is over the last week to see all this type of stuff. But I definitely agree with you. I think we need clearer rules and structures in place on suspensions um, because I just think that player safety needs to be a clear objective here. And look, part of the f- love that we, we like watching football is the violence. We like the speed and the big hits and the physicality of the NFL. We don't want to take that away. It's It's a huge part of why we love the sport and what makes it so good. But it's also the, the ugly underbelly of football and, the, and the, the deal we make with the devil is that we're watching people sacrifice their bodies. But we don't want it to be too extreme that players are getting, you know, not killed, but, you know, throwing their lives away because people are being ridiculous and not being held accountable for bad hits. It's, it's such a simple solution. I mean, it really, truly, absolutely is such a simple solution. We have technology that allows RJ and Y to simultaneously record a podcast from other sides of the earth. However, we can't implement a simple line in a rule book that, you know, establishes a clear baseline as to what what does warrant an ejection, what does warrant in a suspension, etc. It's it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, I'm not as big into the conspiracy theories uh, along these lines as you are, certainly. But, you know, it's amazing that the Patriots seemingly benefit from this yet again because they benefit, A, in that Rob Gronkowski is only suspended for one game. And we all know about the pending game between them and the Pittsburgh Steelers, which will invariably be for home field in the AFC playoffs. And so the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have to take on the Baltimore Ravens this week, are now without an elite offensive weapon in what is theoretically an opportunity to get a game over the New England Patriots because they're without Gronkowski. It's amazing that the Patriots still managed to win out of all of this. Yeah, and I think Tredavis White could miss a couple of weeks for his concussion from Gronkowski. Yeah. And meanwhile, he gets just a game off. Like, it, it, it just doesn't seem right to me. I know you shouldn't judge based on the injury because, you know, a, a hit involving someone could shatter someone's leg and they're out for a month or it could be someone's out for a play. So you don't judge on the injury but the clear result of Gronk's um, negligence and stupidity and thuggery yes he was a thug on that play massively um, and I don't think anyone should color it any other way it resulted in a, in a play getting concussed like a brain injury from his acts like how is he serving only one game he should have been thrown out it's, it's ridiculous it's it's a, it's a good point that you mentioned that the the result of the resulting injury shouldn't be the measurement. It should be, and this is obviously very impossible to measure, but it should be the intent. And while it is impossible to measure intent, it's impossible to know what Juju Smith-Schuster's intent was. You could argue subjective things based on the relationship between the Steelers and Vontez Perfect. Yeah. However, in in the unique case of Rob Gronkowski, the intent is 100% obvious, and the intent is 100% malicious and with purpose to harm. Yeah. That is, if ever there was a situation, one that warrants a rule book thrown in their face, uh, and we didn't see that. Yeah, and... Gronk talked about how he's getting unfair calls and look yeah he does get he does get held a lot and 
um, pass interference against him a lot. Like he's a he's a four hundred pound bloody robotic polar bear that plays tight end. He's he's a freak. There's no, there's no other way to cover him. But let let's not like just cry foul here that he's the one copying all the bad calls in the world. If you watch the Patriots play, they they commit offensive pass interference more than any other team in the NFL, and they get away with it. They just do it every play. And, and they just know the officials won't call it every play, and that's what that's what they do. It, it's like you get both ways. Teams benefit from calls all the time, and then they also get hurt by calls all the time. The law of averages evens everything out. It doesn't mean that Gronk can just, just elbow a guy in the face. Right, because whoever Gronk has interfered with has never elbowed him in the face, etc. I do think I have a question for, for my mate Y here. Do you think if Rob Gronkowski never goes down on Tredavious White, do you think Juju Smith-Schuster and George Ioka are suspended? Or do you think that because of the sort of uh, weighing narrative uh, within the NFL, player safety, et cetera, blah, 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 that the NFL was sort of between a rock and a gronk place, so to speak, where they had to suspend them? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of hard to to judge because I feel like the Juju and George suspensions are because head injuries were got put more in the limelight after Gronk's acts. But the fact that they've all ended up being the exact same suspension length kind of doesn't make any sense to that either. So I, I, I'm not really sure. I, I do think both would have been suspended anyway because they were vicious hits in prime time. Um, there's no benefit of you know, Scott Hansen cutting to a to a touchdown or a, a touchdown celebration so we don't have to see the horrific aftermath of said big hit on national television? I mean, I suppose. I, I just, I think that, and that's the problem. The, the problem, the, the, the fact that you cannot concisively say, yeah, RJ, that had nothing to do with it, that is the problem with the NFL. Yeah. Is, is that, you know, the Aqib Tlaib-Michael Crabtree fight had a lot to do, I'm sure, with how the Gronk punishment was weighed, and the Gronk punishment had a lot to do with how the ensuing punishments were weighed, and that's that's wild when you really think about it. I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's it's uh, an unfortunate thing. It, it sort of reminds you of the initial days of Roger Goodell's tenure when he was really attacking player safety, when James Harrison was sort of his number one target. It just, it, it's uh, it's exhausting. Yeah, it it is very exhausting. I think that's something that hopefully will get addressed in the off season with some clearer rules and structures on suspensions because uh, you know NFL fans are smarter now. We know what injuries and head injuries are doing to players, so we we want player safety to be held more important. You know, in higher regard by the NFL, um, it's always better to be on the front foot rather than than a reactionary league. So uh, we'll wait and see how that all pans out. Let's move on to our second topic and talk a little bit more football rather than uh, the, the ugly side of it in terms of injuries. And, and we do wish Ryan Shazier all the best. I want to um, give a shout-out as well to all the Steelers beat riders yesterday. They, they did a fantastic job covering all that, like um, filling everyone in with, with with the right words while still being respectful to Shazier and his family and their teammates and the team and, and giving them enough space. But um, a lot of people on Twitter were, were dying to know and, and were really anxious to hear about the status of Shazier. I thought they handled it really well. I think so, and uh, not to uh, to say that anybody didn't do an even you know a spectacular job, but I, particularly Aditi Kinkabwala yeah. was was oh, fantastic. She, was uh, she added just such such a, a nerd. You really got the sense that she cared, uh, which, which was such an important just. I mean, as consumers, uh, an important detail in the moment. Yeah, and it wasn't her trying to get the scoop or be the first person. It, like you know, the people were tweeting her like any update, and she said, "Look, if I have an update, I, I will give it to you." But you know, at the moment, we're just we're just trying here to to 
to get the right information and the correct information. And I think she actually had a typo at one point and sent out a tweet early. Um, and I was like, oh, no. Like She said, Vince Williams said to me, and then it just was the inverted comma, and then she must have accidentally hit send. And I was like, oh, no, what is it? What is it? And then like, two, like 30 seconds later, she's deleted it and re-uploaded it. And I was like, oh, thank God. Um, it was more positive <laughs> news. But, yeah, she did a great job. Um, I was going to tweet something out yesterday, and I never got around to it, but uh, I thought she did a great job. Um, all right. Who is the best team in the NFC right now? So the Eagles, they had the loss to the uh, desperate Seahawks um, on uh, Sunday Night Football in a pretty entertaining game, um, even though the Eagles looked a little bit flat. Um, but, you know, some people say it's a game, you, you got to lose a game, you don't want to just ride into the playoffs, you know, on this insane winning streak. But some people buy into that, some people don't. But it's it's no shame to lose in Seattle. Many of team have, have done it before, but... After all that, now we have uh, a couple of teams uh, locked in a in a uh, tie here. The ten and two Eagles. So the high flying Eagles. They looked a bit flat against the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football. You got the ten and two Vikings. They're a really solid team across the board. But a, a lot of people are struggling with Keenum being the name on the back of the quarterback jersey as they head toward the playoffs. You've got the nine and three Saints. Um, that Ingram Kamara duo might be the unstoppable force in football right now. Um, but you've got to be careful with their defense on whether they're legit um, or, you know, without... Uh, I think Alex Okafor has gone down. Their pass rush has really struggled. And then you've got the 9-3 and three Rams. Uh, the coach of the year has the sophomore quarterback flying, and Aaron Donald might be the second most unstoppable force in, in football. So what are your thoughts? Who do you think uh, is the best, you know, best team in the NFC? Have I forgotten anyone here? Well, I think that you're, uh, you've got the right team, certainly, uh, on, on this plate of options here. And I think that when you get to a point where, where things are tied or, or things are close or whatever, it's sort of a, well, who's got the better quarterback thing? And that's why, you know, last week when we talked, when I made my Super Bowl pick here, I chose the New Orleans Saints as the NFC representative. Yep. And that's who I believe in the most. I, I believe in Drew Brees in the most. I believe what, what Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara are doing together is just, I mean, un, unreal. Um, and I certainly think that all three of these teams can challenge them. The Los Angeles Rams obviously beat them. But I, I just think the New Orleans Saints, and you mentioned how some people believe you got to lose a game, whatever. I also, you know, another thing that people don't take all the way seriously is home field advantage. And any playoff game in the Superdome, you know, way long ago before Seattle was the place to play, the Superdome was an impossible place to get a win. And so – this all just kind of feels um, like it's headed the Saints way. I think the Eagles are certainly a better team than we saw on Sunday night. I do think the the Seahawks maybe played a little bit above who they are uh, on average. I think the Seahawks are limited, and they'll go as far as Russell Wilson will carry them, which is a great, great length. But I just don't think that Russell Wilson single-handedly can, through the rest of the season, take on all of these teams and all of the weapons that they employ I like the Vikings, but but I agree it's it's difficult to trust Case Keenum. Yeah, I look, I agree with you a lot in in all of that. And the thing about the Seahawks and why I didn't include them is, look, Russell Wilson's been fantastic. Um, every play is him scrambling twenty yards behind the line of scrimmage and then throwing it eight yards uh, for eight yards, despite throwing it for twenty eight yards, really. But it it's kind of only really, really, really special quarterbacks can carry a team that is like. How do I explain it? Like, he is the sole guy that's going to carry the team. If the, if the Seahawks go on a run, it's going to be all Russell Wilson because the right. because the Legion of Boom is so banged up, the Seahawks' defense isn't isn't the same. The offensive line's struggling. It, it reminds me of, like, you know, like Peyton Manning with the Colts. Like, he, he took a lot of really bad Colts teams on a 
on some playoff runs, but you can only go so far in the playoffs as a, as a truly great quarterback because you'll, you'll get to matchups against great teams and, and great defenses, and that's where you'll struggle. And I think I'm not sure if they can do that against, say, like a Mike Zimmer in the Vikings or, or a Sean Payton in the Saints um, because you just can't, you can't, you just can't do it on all all facets of the of the ball. Is the defense and special teams always factor in in these games? I also think, and I'm, I believe me, I, I think that all of the credit and beyond goes to Russell Wilson. He's been playing out of his mind, and yep. you know you could argue he's the most exciting quarterback in the NFL right now. However, you know football is, and I've said this so many times. You and I have talked about this, you know, at different times. Football is such a game of breaks, and in to a degree, it's a game of luck. And the Seahawks, this win, which was an impressive win over the Eagles that they got, I mean, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson in particular are so good at at creating luck, which Mm -hmm. is is what elite teams do. But you look at it, the Carson Wentz fumble touchback, something like that doesn't happen against an elite team. You think about the the sort of shaky lateral uh, that Russell Wilson had, something like that doesn't necessarily go under the radar in a playoff game. And and I think if, if you're getting these nice wins, but you have those sort of um, you know, exposable Achilles heels in exposable places, I think that you are not going to be the team that's heading to Minnesota in February this year. Yeah. Um, that lateral, by the way, the most rugby sort of Australian-type NFL player we've seen in a while. Um, I thought it was awesome. Um, definitely went backwards. It was an amazing play. And look, I've always got a little bit of a rivalry with, with Russell Wilson because him and Luck, you know, the debates, Luck v. Wilson, but... Like, not going to let any of that bother me watching Russell Wilson and enjoying watching Russell Wilson play because he's been uh, he's been fantastic um, to watch. But my my team, I think, is the Vikings. I really really like the Vikings. And I'll say this: if you just if you watched quarterbacks and you just took the name off the back of the jersey, they wore a bodysuit so you couldn't tell who they were, and you just watched Case Keenum play over the last month, you would think that he's one of the best five quarterbacks. Five, six quarterbacks in the NFL. I think he's playing that good. I think their defense is amazing. Harrison Smith is the best safety in football right now. He is just everywhere. Everson Griffin's a defensive player of the year candidate. I just think they're so solid across the board. Latavius Murray's running really, really well. I just think they're just heading in the right direction. They're they're my team right now. I think they're the best team in the NFC. I like them, and I, I agree with you that Case Cam is playing at an elite level right now. But, I mean, of the four quarterbacks we're talking here, the fifth would be Russell Wilson. We're talking about Carson Wentz, Case Keenum, Drew Brees, and Jared Goff, and again, potentially Russell Wilson. Of those five, who is more likely to regress to a lower quality level? The unfortunate reality is that it is Case Keenum. I'm just playing odds here. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. Um, but that's that's the, that's the one knock on it. That That's the only sort of blemish that they can have. But if that math or... It doesn't add up in the playoffs, and it and it just it ends up being Keenum still being Case Keenum. They're going to be tough to beat. You know, going into Atlanta and beating them like that, and holding this Atlanta offense that had finally found its groove to the points that it held it to. Um, I, I think that is just I think so overlooked in, in in last week's results. It's amazing. It's amazing how the Vikings keep sort of stumbling into uh, into quarterbacks here. I mean, you're talking each each of the last three seasons, we've had a conversation about the Vikings quarterback being underrated. Yeah, exactly. I think this is a perfect uh, transition into our last topic in the three-point stance, and that's this pending quarterback carousel uh, heading into the offseason. It's going to be a fun, a really fun offseason, I think, 
And I'm not just saying that because the Colts might have a top three pick, but uh, <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean might? Yeah, well, will um, look. I'll give Chaz Pagano credit. He can definitely lock down a uh, top three selection um, in his final year. So he's doing something right. But um, I can't wait to turn those uh, turn that third round that third overall pick into two firsts from the Bills, so they can trade up and take Josh Allen, who's the white quarterback for them. That's true. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after Jimmy Garoppolo's debut, it got us thinking about this pending free agent quarterback class and then also some names that are going to be available or, or on the trading block. Um, so it's it's absolutely loaded with names and options and mystery. Um, and it could have been even more historic with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Breeze potentially being in the mix, but it looks like both of those probably won't even make it to the, the open market um, considering if... Garoppolo keeps going. I thought his debut was was very impressive, but there's a whole heap of names here. Of the obvious highlight is Kirk Cousins. Kirk is is fascinating, and Brock sort of drew this uh, entering the 2016 offseason. Uh, but but I think that Kirk Cousins in free agency, assuming he gets there, will be the closest thing we saw to 2012 Peyton Manning, because that was sort of the. The only real time, I think the only time before that that you could sort of equate would be maybe Drew Brees in 2006, Dante Culpepper back then. Uh, yep. you, you just don't see this. You, you don't. It, it, this is LeBron's level tour uh, to a degree. Uh, that that will be very exciting. And you can come up with a lot of places that are exciting. And, and I think one of them is Pittsburgh if Ben Roethlisberger retires. I definitely uh, agree. I'm on the same page with you 100% there. I, I, I want that to happen so badly. I mean, just that would be so incredible. That <laughs> offense would continue to flourish. Uh, my God, that would be amazing. Yeah, look, I'm not a huge Kirk Cousins guy, but I think if you surround him with that O-line and those weapons, I definitely think he could elevate to a point where I actually think he's good enough to win a title. I just think he's a he's a 9-7, and 10-6 and six guy um, at this point. For me, I, I can't buy all in. But, you know, the 49ers were the obvious connection with Shanahan, but obviously now with with them getting Jimmy Garoppolo and he's going to get sort of Osweiler Texans type money. Kirk Cousins, you know, it, it is interesting. I, I can't rule out him re-signing with the Redskins, but I'm not sure. sure how on top of that in the NFC East in terms of how likely you think that'll be. But um, yeah, Pittsburgh is a name that uh, whether Jacksonville can afford Kirk Cousins, if they really believe in their defense and, and I'm, I'm sure they do, if you add Kirk Cousins to Leonard Fournette and, and Marquise Lee and a returning Allen Robinson with that defense, um, they would probably be the second favorite in the NFC uh, in the AFC next season. I think that that would be amazing. Um, certainly, I just don't know. I mean, I trust the Pittsburgh offense to elevate Cousins. Yep. Uh, and that's, I'm a big I'm a bigger believer in, in Kirk than most. I, I admit this. By the way, it would be cool to see two Spartans share the Pittsburgh backfield. Um, but I don't know that the Jacksonville offense can elevate Kirk. Um, obviously that defense can. So I think you're just, you're sort of getting a souped up version of Blake Bortles potentially. And so I think that if you're Jacksonville and if you're going to be committed to sort of getting a new quarterback and, and sort of that being your, your final fitting piece here, I think it has to be a playmaking quarterback. I know that we'll hear all about him as the draft season sort of moves on, but how about Lamar Jackson? In Jacksonville. Lamar Jacksonville. That would be so awesome. <laughs> I love that, just for the name. I think that'd be cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. That's that's amazing. I didn't even think of that. That's so good. Um, <laughs> some other Kirk Cousins destinations, obviously, Denver Broncos would be a name we know. You mentioned Peyton Manning back in 2012. That if what, they, what about the Vikings? 
I mean, what, what? I mean, who knows what, how, where the Vikings stand here? I mean, if the Vikings are are out on on Keenum and Bradford and 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 Bridgewater, I mean, the Vikings are a potential contender here. Yeah, I wouldn't rule that out. The New York Jets as well. I think um, everyone thinks everyone has a sour taste in their mind about this Jets team. You know, it, it looked like they were tanking heading into the season, but they, you know, everyone like including us, we knocked them for for the Eric Decker. We didn't knock them, but we. Because we thought they were tanking, so we thought getting rid of deck is fine. You, you free up cap space. You want the lock in the number one pick, but we didn't realize that they just knew that they had a they had weapons there and Robbie Anderson and, and other players like that. They're a team that I think Todd Bowles has done enough to save his job and and, and keep things in the right direction. I don't know. I, I think they could be a team that could fork out a, a bit of money to to uh, to get Kirk Cousins in in the Big Apple. I just think Kirk is. Is if he's not your final piece, he's at the very least your your sort of middle piece. He's not your foundation. And the Jets, while you're right, they weren't tanking, obviously. I don't know that the Jets have a foundation. So I don't know that you can go get a guy like Kirk Cousins. Yep. Uh, Any final thoughts on Kirk Cousins before we talk about some potential players that may be on the block um, this offseason? He's a a Spurs fan, so I just wanted to say that and say that he's a genius for that. (laughs) There we go. Uh, On the block, so these are some some quarterbacks that could be – could be traded on draft day or before or or after, uh, depending on how the draft board um, falls and, and what teams are picking in what order. As we said, it's very, very early. But Alex Smith, Tyrod Taylor, Eli Manning, and Jacoby Brissett are names that could be potentially dealt this offseason. I... These... This is... I like the way you sort of categorize this as on the block because you could, uh, I think, save Tyrod Taylor. You could see all of these guys returning to their team uh, that they're currently on. Alex Smith, I, I mean, obviously so much of this depends on, on Pat Mahomes, but what if Alex Smith just, you know, sort of moves uh, moves a little bit west and, and quarterbacks the Denver Broncos? Because yeah. that's kind of Alex Smith's gig is just find a team that is, is sort of some, somewhat stable and be Alex Smith, and, and that's a little bit of enough. Yeah, I that was a fit that, that came to mind for me as well. Whether they will do that within the division is another thing, or whether that's like the you know, the new Chiefs baller move because it was trading up for Mahomes was a, a real ballsy move. Um, so maybe Andy Reid is like being ballsy here and says, yeah, all right, we don't rate Alex Smith that high. We, we'll trade him to a division rival. You beat us with Alex Smith. That would be a baller move. It certainly would. Also, I mean, if, if we're operating under the presumption that Kirk Cousins leaves, I think Washington is, is another candidate. Uh, you know, Jay Gruden, Alex Smith, that kind of makes some sense. Yeah, and if they, if they do lose Kirk Cousins, they're not going to be in a position where they're high enough to to be in, in play for one of the top quarterbacks. So maybe they need like a sort of a, they can still draft someone in the second round or third round and they just need a transition sort of bridge quarterback. And Alex Smith's not, not that bad of a, of a bridge quarterback. What about the Ravens exactly. for uh, Alex Smith? I just, uh, man, see, I think if, I think if you're Baltimore and if, I think this is sort of a similar Eli Manning discussion, not that Joe Flacco has the pedigree that Eli Manning does, but it, if I'm a Ravens fan, I can only swallow you moving on from Joe Flacco if we're sort of recommitting to to a new era, to a, a Pat Mahomes yep. sort of type guy. And so I don't I feel like that's a lateral move, uh, which doesn't seem like the one the Ravens organization yep. would typically make. Until you look at their contracts, I think it's oh, that's you fair. you could save a lot of money on Alex Smith and, and getting rid of Joe Flacco because Joe Flacco is on a, a big Big, huge paycheck, and I do think the difference between Alex Smith right now and and Joe Flacco is quite substantial. I, I I think Flacco is one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. He he's the the Ravens' offense is terrible to watch. They're, they're so it, boring to watch. 
This would be an amazing sort of twist of irony, uh, given that the reason the Baltimore Ravens sort of need to move on from Joe Flacco is the enormous contract they rightfully gave him following Super Bowl 47. Super Bowl 47, which Joe Flacco beat the man who took Alex Smith's job, yep. Colin Kaepernick. What if Alex Smith plays in Super Bowl 47? Maybe, you know, they win that Super Bowl and Joe Flacco never even gets this contract yeah. that would lead ultimately to Alex Smith being in Baltimore. Amazing. Yeah, it is crazy. And maybe even, just even, maybe Raheem Moore doesn't fall over and, and Peyton Manning goes on to win that Super Bowl like he should have. And he would have had three rings. <laughs> maybe. Just maybe. Um, Tyrod Taylor, I think Jacksonville's an obvious uh, fit. I think he would be a good fit for them. I just think a mobile quarterback adds another element and, and will open up their running game even more. Um, I think a re, reuniting Tyrod with with the Ravens would be kind of saucy, um, given that mm-hmm. they had Joe Flacco on the roster before they traded Tyrod Taylor, so I like that fit as well just for the narrative there, but I think Tyrod Taylor could be a, a popular choice for, for a few teams. Um, I think the Jets could um, definitely take Tyrod and draft someone at the same time and, and just sort of see how that plays out. But, you know, there's there's no guarantee that Josh McCowan doesn't return. The way he's played this year, I think they, they'd be happy to keep uh, Josh McCowan in, in, in uh, New York. I think Washington is another option, similarly with Alex Smith. Uh, if they're sort of this middle-of-the-road team, they can't get sort of one of the more promising rookies. I think the Giants are, are you know, if they're able to pair – uh, Tyrod Taylor with a uh, call it whoever you want one of, one of the top guys uh, you know with with their selection in the draft. I also think you know that once upon a time it was rumored that John Elway had a high level of interest in Tyrod Taylor. In fact, Tyrod chose Buffalo over Denver. Denver uh, could creep up and be an option again. Yeah, um, are we not ruling out uh, you know maybe like a New Orleans for for a Tyrod Taylor, given that Drew Brees has only got a season left or so. Um, although the way that they're running the ball now, maybe they, they are conserving Drew Brees arm for, for a two or three year stint. I have to wonder in a similar level of thought, if Tyrod is sort of resigning himself to, okay, well I'm just a backup at this point. How about Houston? I mean, how about Houston go back up to Sean Watson? I mean, is, is Tyrod Taylor, not just the older, uh, you know, at this point, less talented version of Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's good the, enough the... to be a starter though. Me too, but but yeah. again, if if sort of the cards fall that way to, to the point that he can't really get one of those gigs, I think that that makes sense uh, for Tyrod Taylor. Yep. Um, where are we on Miami as a quarterback destination? Because Ryan Tannehill is no guarantee to be the same guy coming back. Could they swing on a on a player like this? I like that idea. However, I think that you look at Adam Gase and. Adam Gase had the the hot coordinator buzz sort of circling around him. That's that's a little bit gone, obviously. Um, But I I think if you're Adam Gase, you need to tie yourself to a young guy and buy yourself a year. Uh, So I don't know that any of these guys are real legitimate options for him. Yep. Forgot to mention back on Kirk Cousins as well. I think the Cardinals are definitely an option um, as well. True. Um, They're they're a team. And and their super fantastic quarterback whisperer. Yes. Uh, Eli Manning, uh, Jacksonville's obviously the, the obvious one and Denver given the Manning connection in, uh, in Denver with, with Elway, um, and Peyton, but I think they're the only two teams that I think he would be traded to, um, at this point. Otherwise I think he will remain a giant. I also want to just suggest this, and this would require a level of crazy and, and one that you are not a fan of. I understand this. If Jacoby Brissett is, is for whatever reason, not an Indianapolis Colt next year, and if Andrew Luck is, for whatever reason, still not ready, how about 
Eli Manning, quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. That would be incredible. <laughs> I I wouldn't mind that uh, to a degree if we can get a good return on investment for Jacoby Brissett. Like if someone is offering us a, a, a decent pick for Brissett and then we can spell something less for Eli Manning later on, uh, like I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think he's still an okay quarterback with uh, adequate offensive line. That, that offensive line is, was dreadful this year for him. I'm not making excuses, but it was... It was a woeful situation. Sure. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Brissett was the next name on the list. Uh, again, th- th- that's a complete wild card. It depends on what teams are, are keen on him and whether they judge him. I'm happy for him to stay as a backup because I think he's one of the better backups um, in the league or can develop into one of the better backups in the league. I like it. I, I think he fits. I-, I think he'll start a few games next year, though. I don't know where, but I think he will. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that one. All right, some veterans with upside. I'll, I'll just... Read out these names here, and um, you can just pick a couple that you want to talk about. AJ McCarron, Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, Josh McCowan, Jay Cutler, and Blaine Gabbert. Um, and I have Ugh. upside in, in inverted commas, um, obviously, but some obviously have a lot more upside than others. I think the most predictable one is AJ McCarron. I think that I think he's going to do it. I think AJ McCarron's going to do the Cleveland thing. Yeah. Um, which is, is just so predictable and so sad already. Uh, Sam Brad, see, Sam Bradford is so interesting because he's such an injury wild card. Same is true with Teddy Bridgewater. Honestly, I'm, I think the most intriguing here is Josh McCown because Josh McCown is sort of proven to be that, you know, that bridge. Uh, Case Keenum, I guess, is that guy. But I wonder if Case Keenum, you know, we, we've gotten to know him over various NFL films productions. I wonder if Case Keenum carries a, a bit of the air that Ryan Fitzpatrick did after that 2015 season. Yeah, you know, that, sort of, that is going to be that is going to be interesting be, because he he might you know I mean because he's he's a legitimate candidate I suppose for league MVP and so he might say hey look you know uh, I kind of deserve to be a starter here and, and get paid X and Y. And I think that if you're an NFL team, you say, look, Case, you, you caught lightning in a bottle, and that was amazing, but let's call a spade a spade here. That, that, I think that's going to be very, very fascinating. Yeah, th- th- we could see a standoff here in terms of yeah, of Fitzpatrick-Jets proportion. I don't know if Keenum is as stubborn as Fitzpatrick. I, I do think he realizes how lucky he is to be playing in Shermer's offense with Thielen and, and Diggs. I think he might probably be a bit more, and this is pure speculation, he might be a bit more reluctant to to take sort of a mid-tier starter deal. But um, if the play continues, um, I definitely think the Vikings will bring two of those three guys back. I actually think Bradford's going to retire at this point. I, I really think his knee is his knee is shot. Um, I'm surprised no one's talking about that. Everyone keeps saying, oh, Andrew Luck's done. Well, what about Sam Bradford? Hey? Um, Bridgewater, obviously, we haven't seen play at all. So that is a complete wild card in that regard. Yeah, and, and you mentioned retired. I think Jay Cutler goes back to Booth, the the booth he barely occupied. Uh, Bruce Arians can try to sell us on on Blaine Gabbard. I'm not buying it. Um, again, I think Josh McCown is sort of the the most interesting name. I think we see Josh McCown back up. I know I said uh, Houston for Tyrod, but I think that's where he ends up. I think he ends up behind a young, promising starter, similarly to how Ryan Fitzpatrick landed in Tampa Bay. Uh, after the Jets debacle, and I think I think he's the one that maybe garners uh, the most movement. Yeah, yeah. It, I think playing Gabba wouldn't be that bad of a backup quarter. I don't think he's going to be like a starter for you uh, anywhere, but I, I think you could do much worse in terms of a backup. But could we see uh, Josh McCowan possibly you know, go back full circle of life, back to the Arizona Cardinals to be the uh, the uh, 
bridge quarterback for them as they transition from Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians into their new head coach um, and quarterback because there's, there are talks that, that Arians may step away um, given his age and his health. So that could be a full uh, circle of life, sort of Lion King moment for Josh McCown. I like it. I uh, I think that that would, that would be nice. That would make me feel great. Yeah. I enjoy that. I want to meet someone that, that uh, looks at me the same way that uh, Hugh Jackson looked at um, AJ McCarron a few weeks ago. Oh man, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that that, that situation is <laughs> just so sad. Just so sad. Do it in do it behind closed doors. Like, why are you so actively like engaging in 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 a in a hug and, and a huge smile right on right in the middle of the open? There, that was a bad that was a bad move, or maybe it was a deliberate move by by Hugh. But it, I understand AJ. Like, he doesn't care. Like, he's out of there at the end of the year, so there's no real there. But I don't know what Hugh Jackson was thinking. He's not thinking. That's the way the, the Cleveland Browns roll. <laughs> Super Bowl picks. We were going to Disneyland. <gasps> oh, yeah. All right, Super Bowl picks time. Ochoa, you went with uh, uh, the Saints and the Patriots last week. you got to be different this week. So what, what are you locking in? If I have to adjust it... Yeah. Um, I'll just I'll just adjust it to sort of my second my secondary team my my uh, uh, what was it called uh, in show in show business um, understudy understudy uh, I'll go I'll go Steelers Vikings I like and that's a that's a great Super Bowl throwback I would love to see that yeah that's a cool jersey matchup too the uh, the yellow and the white and the uh, purple and white I, I like that I actually believe though that not not to you know sort of poo poo this. Uh, this is the AFC's turn to wear their preferred jersey. So it would be the black uh, against the white of the Vikings, oh, okay. which well, is another great, that is another a, great combination. Yeah, it's the, uh, the evil and good, like the, uh, the old color themes of film and television. Um, all right, mine is I'm going to go with uh, the greatest quarterback of all time versus Tom Brady. So Case Keenan versus Tom Brady. That's what I'm going with in my Super Bowl. New England versus the Vikings. That's, that's my Super Bowl pick for this week. I dig it. Jeff Fisher would be so proud. <laughs> yeah, he would. Pre-snap Pre-snap picks time, and we're in week 14. Divisional matchup starts us off here. New Orleans Saints, Atlanta Falcons, Thursday night football. The Falcons, they control their own destiny. They, they play the Saints twice and the Panthers twice. So if they have any chance of of sneaking into the playoffs, it's winning these three division matchups. And the first one is at home um, against the Saints. Desmond Trufant is back for the Falcons, and it looks like Marshawn Lattimore will play as well. Look, why? Um, last week when the Atlanta Falcons hosted the Minnesota Vikings, they were proverbially up 28-3. to The collapse is on. <laughs> the Vikings got the win, and the Saints are about to do the same. Uh, this is going to be. A, I think this is a big Drew Brees game. This is. I think it's a good fantasy game. It's a great game for the fantasy football playoffs. And I think Drew Brees uh, leads the Saints. Wow. All right. So you're locking in uh, the Saints. Speaking of uh, fantasy football playoffs, I really wish uh, we we missed out on making um, the semifinals of the Scott Fish Bowl by I think point six of a point, um, mm. which is just a brutal loss. Alex Smith was on our bench. Um, we started Rivers and, and Drew Brees over Alex Smith, um, which just is a low, low blow. Uh, Smith getting 40 points. Um, we had Rashad Matthews get ruled out as well, um, which hurt us, so we had to change our lineup a little bit. So 
We we hoarded Josh Gordon on our lineup for the playoffs, and it only lasted one stint. But I'm I'm just proud of of the organisation and the team and and the way that we fought and um and to to play Josh Gordon in a Scott Fishbowl playoffs um, was just a dream come true. So um we're, we'll look forward, we'll look forward to next season. I mean, saying all of that, I'm going to take the Falcons at home. I think um, the Falcons win this, and and suddenly the NFC South really heats up here. Um, gets very saucy, um, and the NFC. It's very, the NFC race is fun this year. It, it is the whole season right now. We know the Pats are going to be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. The NFC is where the fun's at, and I think uh, this will be the most fun option if the Falcons win. Well, hey, whatever. Yep, and Thursday night's had some weird things. It's, it's always a weird game. Uh, Chicago Bears, Cincinnati Bengals is the next game. Um, You know, we saw the Bengals do a Bengals thing. Uh, by losing to the Steelers, and I think they do another Bengals thing. This, I, I don't want to. This happens all the time, but this this really does feel like the end of the Marvin Lewis era. Yeah, and and this this is sort of this could be a loser gets fired the next day game uh, between Marvin Lewis and John Fox. So I, I mean, I, I think that I'll just, I'll take the Bears just because I think the universe hates the Bengals that much. <laughs> Look, I think the Bengals aren't a great team, but I think they're better than what their record is. As you said, they did a very Bengals thing in, in the way that they played um, last week in losing that game, and I think it was 170-odd penalty yards in that game on uh, Monday Night Football. But in saying all of that, I do think they'll beat the Bears. The Bears are, are not a great team right now. Um, I think John Fox... This is the uh, this is the uh, dead coach walking bowl here. Uh, Marvin Lewis and John Fox... Uh, who, who gets fired first on Black Monday? Flip a coin. Um, I think both of them are, are both uh, dead men walking. I agree. Also worth noting that this game is an example of the curse of CB in the NFL. If your initials are CB, you're doomed. Chicago Bears, Cincinnati Bengals, Cleveland Browns. Coincidentally, Cedric Benson played for both the Bears and the Bengals and flamed out for both of them. CB, just a horrible combination. Uh, in the Champ National Bailey. It, well, yeah, I mean, but hey, you know. There's a, there's there's always an exception. Okay, Chris Benoit. Oh wait, that's wrestling. Won't go down that avenue. Sorry, guys. Uh, Detroit Lions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tampa at home. Jameis Winston came back. Jameis Winston is like, I don't know what it is. Like, I love watching him play, but he just does some of the dumbest things on a football field I've ever seen. And he does like one or two of them a game, and it just costs his team a game every week. He uh he's very special in that regard. Now. Obviously, the status of Matthew Stafford is very interesting. I do think that Marvin Jones and Golden Tate, I would say that that's the most underrated, you know, lethal wide receiver pairing in the NFL. Um, I, I just I, uh, this is, again, you talked about how the NFC is fun and there are a lot of fun storylines, but there are also so many depressing ones. And the Lions are kind of one of those teams. The Lions are meant to disappoint. And I think that this is sort of the game where, you know, because at some point the Bucks are going to win a game and everyone's going to say, well, that's the team we saw. That's the one we fell for back at Hard Knocks. This kind of feels like that day. Yeah, okay. So you're going to take the uh, Bucks. I, I do think Stafford will play. Um, I think it's just bruising on the hand, but he's a tough he's a tough bugger. I think that's one thing um, you can say confidently about Matt Stafford is he's a tough tough quarterback. And they do have an easy... Easy schedule in the last four weeks, um, so you know they're they're not technically out of the race, even though most people fully accept that they are out of the race. But the Bucks, Bears, Lions, and Packers, although Aaron Rodgers will be back for that Packers matchup, but the Lions have been a team that has that has troubled the Packers in the past. Um, so look, they're still not technically out of it. So I think they've got more on the Lions. So I will take the Lions um, in that game. So we've we've gone different every game so far, RJ. So 
We're bringing the fire here. Green Bay Packers, Brett Hundley, possibly his last game this season for the Packers with Aaron Rodgers returning following week, taking on the Cleveland Browns. Is this the game the Browns get their first victory? I th- this It would be the most NFL thing ever. All right, it would be the most 2017 thing ever if we all said, oh, all right, all we got to do is get the Packers to win this game, uh, and then Aaron's going to come back, whatever. I'm going to pick the Packers, but I, I, I do think that that level of caution needs to be there. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm taking I'm taking the Browns. I, I think they win. I, I agree with you. This would be the most 2017 NFL thing ever is that everyone's like, yes, the Packers, they can do it. Aaron Rodgers is back. They'll win out. They'll run the table. They'll sneak into the playoffs. This is what they did back when they, they won the Super Bowl when Rodgers missed some time and they, they snuck into the playoffs and they were banged up. and But they, Brett Hundley's he threw for 80 yards last week and still won a game. That's ridiculous. I think the Browns have been quite um, competitive over the last two weeks. They pushed the Jaguars to, to, the, to late in the fourth quarter. They pushed the Chargers last week. They've been saucy. I just think this could be the team that they get the job done against. I like it. Uh, Indianapolis Colts against the Buffalo Bills. Um, Tyrod Taylor considered day-to-day, so we're not sure whether he will start. Even if Nathan Peterman plays, still taking the Bills. Um, we made Blake Bortles look like Joe Montana out there last week. Um, we are terrible. Um, and I couldn't be happier because draft picks um, come at me, top top three pick, and uh, Chaz Pagano firing. It's uh, it's a dream scenario. I'm, I sound like a Browns fan that gets excited for the offseason, but that's, that's how dire the uh, Colts organization is at the moment. Well, I uh, unfortunately agree with you, and I, I think this is a Bills win. I think it's a competitive game for a little while, but I think the Bills ultimately find a way to squeak it out, and you uh, you get closer to the top three. Yeah, they're, they're much saucier at home, uh, the Bills, tougher to tougher to beat at home although um brady went like had zero touchdowns and interception and they still lost by 20 at home to them so that's crazy uh minnesota vikings traveled to carolina to take on the panthers this might be one of the best games of the week two playoff teams the vikings have had a, a tough little schedule the last couple of weeks but they've they've come out of it looking really strong uh the panthers look at a few bad sort of special teams errors early and some some calls kind of hurt them in that game and, and and being unable to stop Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, obviously. But they're still a, still a competitive team that can uh, can, get, can get a win out and, and still make the playoffs. I like the Vikings. I really do. And, and for the Cowboys' purposes, I, I want them to win. But this just feels – there are times where Cam Newton turns it on. And this feels like one of those games where he turns it on. You mentioned the NFC South heating up. Somebody's going to pick up a win on Thursday night. This is one of those nights, one of those days where Cam Newton does something heroic, I think. Yeah, that does feel like a, a another chapter in the Cam Newton folklore um, in this game. I'm going to take the Vikings, but I'm not I'm not sure about the range of possibilities with the Panthers on any given week. Uh, Oakland Raiders, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, potentially the, uh, the winner of this will lead the division, depending on what happens with the Chargers, but... Uh, the Raiders beat the Chiefs um, last time at home um, in, a, in an epic Thursday night finish game, or a game that finished like 67 different times. This time, though, it's at Arrowhead Stadium. The Chiefs' offense finally came back and, and played well. Alex Smith connecting deep, but their defense, they're really, really struggling. Darrell Revis was terrible. This is a game... I, I, I feel like I can't give the Raiders... Any credit. I really feel like I can. They beat the Giants. Congratulations. But the Chiefs, this is this is honestly a battle of, of who deserves my respect the least. Um, and I, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that quarterbacks are typically a tiebreaker, but so are head coaches. And while Andy Reid hasn't been on fire, 
uh, as of late. Uh, the the color of his uh, his chosen uniform is the same color as fire. So I'll take Andy Reid and uh, and the Chiefs. <laughs> Definitely the fraud bowl here for me. Uh, both these teams, I don't believe in at all. I think the Raiders are really bad. I I think Derek Carr is reaching that overrated territory. I mean, every Dak Prescott throw gets overanalyzed by everybody, and and Derek Carr seems to just fly under the radar. I don't I don't understand that. And he's been paid. I mean, that, I, I agree with you totally. And and beyond that, he has a personality that is kind of unlikable. Like, yeah, like he was, he clenched two fists in the air and was like jumping around on the field when they beat the the Giants. Like, you struggled for a lot of this game. Like, what? I know you're missing Crabtree and Cooper, but the Giants are missing their their best receivers. Like, have been for all all year. Like, what are you doing? It's yeah. It's just it's the Derek Carr way. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, another game that has zero impact. At all. Well, sorry, the Chiefs Raiders does have an impact, but I don't see it. I mean, most of the AC is just filling up the numbers. Let's be honest. But uh, yep. the Forty Niners Texans game uh, has zero impact at all on the playoff picture. I thought the Texans fought. Uh, man, Tom Savage made one of the greatest throws I've ever seen in my life, and then proceeded to wash it all away with a, a terrible interception. But after Jeff Allen gave up like three back-to-back false start penalties, which that is something I've never ever seen in my life, the same guy on back-to-back-to-back penalties, it was like a hat trick in cricket. Um, Tom Savage delivered a dart in between three players. It was unbelievable. I felt like they deserved the win there. Um, I think they'll win at home here, but I really like what I. The only thing I want to see in this game is to watch Jimmy Garoppolo. I completely agree, and a lot of people thought at one point that Jimmy Garoppolo could have been a Houston Texan. Yeah. And so I think that I think that Jimmy scorns the Texans, and uh, and I think that the 49ers get another win and move the Browns closer to the top overall pick. Yeah, um, I'm happy for the 49ers to keep winning under Jimmy if it means pushing the Colts down a little bit further down that draft board as well. So um, I'm going to take the Texans because it's, it's in Houston, but um, a Jimmy Garoppolo game where he, he kills it is not out of the realm of possibility at all. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks take on the younger Seattle Seahawks um, with a less <laughs> hot quarterback. But um, a lot of people thought that the Jaguars were building a, a mini sort of Seattle D with Gus Bradley, um, and maybe they were off a year or two or three. But it really is the, the battle here where the Jacksonville Jaguars it's go into this. It's rare to go into a game against the Seahawks with a better defense, but that's what the Jags are doing. This is weird, and I feel like we've had this point at times before where, okay, Jaguars, here's your chance. This is your game. This is the one. This is the stage. Go win this, and we'll take you seriously. Uh, but but it, it actually does kind of carry that weight to me, uh, given that it's at home, given that it was bumped to the 3 o'clock slot. This is the stage. This is the team. This is sort of the, the carbon copy, to your point. But – they're they're just still, they're still the Jaguars. So I'll take the Seahawks. Uh, I can't believe in, in in Jacksonville until they have a reason to. Yeah, this is an ultimate test for Russell Wilson as well, who's been as we said accounted for an insane percentage amount of his team's points. Uh, I think it's like eighty something percent of the team's touchdowns and, and points is all from Russell Wilson. So this is the ultimate test. Um, this is a team that struggled to really run the ball, although we saw some semblance of a running game from Mike Davis of all people um, for them. Last week, um, a lot of Australians know randomly know who Mike Davis is because him and Jared Hayne were battling for a roster spot um, a few years ago in San Fran. So um, it's weird that a lot of people know who Mike Davis is in Australia, but it's just one of the most random things ever. But um, this is a team that Russell Wilson, if he can pass on, 
and have a big game against, I think he will vault up MVP consideration because it's teams have struggled to pass against the Jags all year. Agreed. New York Jets, Denver Broncos time. Uh, a game that has zero impact at all on anything. Um, I'll take the Jets because the Broncos have been so bad. I agree. And that's how far John Elway has fallen, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, he continually, continuously, you know, caught the team soft and, uh, his quarterback situation has played very, very soft now over the last uh, month since he's, since he said that. I do feel bad for the, for the Broncos defense who is copying a lot of criticism at the moment and probably unnecessarily. I just think because they're on the field and giving up short field so much, it's just, it's just hard to maintain that composure when you know like no matter how many points you limit a team to your, your team can't score enough to beat to win your games must be frustrating it's, yeah i mean it's um it's devon miller life it's uh the one he has to roll with now i mean yep oh well he's just got a super Bowl mvp and uh, all sorts of honors so i'm sure he's fine uh tennessee titans at the arizona cardinals uh this this one's actually interesting for me because i don't believe in the titans at all i think they're one of the worst teams in the NFL that's got a winning record. I, I I don't believe in them at all. I know they're eight and four, but I just I don't understand how they were seven point favorites last week and they managed to cover luckily with that Derek Henry run right at the end who, by the way, uh, clocked in the fastest time out of anyone in the NFL last week, despite weighing forty pounds heavier than the next guy. Um that's insane. You you look at this, I actually am really bothered by that run of Derek Henry and uh, you, you might remember back when the Cowboys beat the Redskins in Washington, I, I made a big deal about how Byron Jones should have taken a knee. That that was the second time in one season that Derrick Henry, who, if he had taken a knee, could have ended the game, chose to continue running, prolonging the play, prolonging the game, prolonging the opportunity for negative outcomes. Both games this season uh, were against division rivals, your Colts and the Texans. Both were at home. This is a small detail, but I feel like it shows an incredible lack of football intelligence from Derrick Henry that he doesn't get that, that, that he's so focused on, on the moment. And I think that's a poor quality to have in, in a young franchise player. And I think that even though I don't believe in Bruce Arians at all, I think the Cardinals have more maturity than the Titans. And I think that they find a way to get this done. Uh, and I think that because they beat a team that statistically looks solid, like you're saying in the Titans, I think that everybody overreacts and, and beats the Bruce Arians chest after this game is over. Yeah, I just think the five and seven Cardinals are better than the eight and four Titans. Like I, the Cardinals have been really competitive over the last month. Like, you know, they, they lost 32 to 16 to, to the Rams, but that game, considering a month ago, they lost 33 nil to them. They were in this game a lot longer than I thought many th- thought that, that that was going to happen. I thought that they were um, competitive and at least respectable in, in a game against a, a really good Rams team. Whatever. I don't believe in uh, in the Bruce Arians. He's, he's the, he, he, Bruce, Bruce Arians, honestly, why, is the Tennessee Titans of head coaches. <laughs> oh, that's the, this is the, the one topic that me and you uh, will continue to uh, raise our fists and, and say, oh, Jay, and you'll raise your fists and say, why, from another... Uh, continent about uh, Bruce Arians, but it's fun. Uh, Washington Redskins, Los Angeles Chargers with a win and a Chiefs loss. The Chargers will move ahead to the uh, front of the division. Uh, man, the Chargers did their best <laughs> to try and let the Browns win that game despite sort of out uh, gaining them by a substantial margin and, and 
just couldn't finish drives off. Um, by the way, get rid of Travis Coons. Why are you letting Travis Coons kick field goals for you? Um, is crazy. Sign Sam Irwin Hill, please. Someone sign Sam Irwin Hill. Um, I'm taking the charges at home. The Redskins have kind of fallen off the wagon um, the last few weeks, despite I think some solid play from Kirk Cousins. Um, they're just they're just too banged up. The Redskins. I agree, and, and we talked about this last week. This is kind of the time of the year where Philip Rivers and the Chargers sort of sort of once every three to four years have that little run, and it feels like we're seeing it now. Uh, I'll take the Chargers. It's going to be amazing when they host a playoff game in the venue that everybody was dogging on all season long. Yeah, that's going to be a crazy playoff game at that uh, twenty seater, twenty thousand seat stadium. Um, it is funny as well that the Chargers, you know, they won ugly last week and everyone's like, oh, I don't know, they need to beat the Browns. But winning ugly is something the Chargers haven't been able to do for a while. Like, they normally lose games like that. So for them to, to win games like this and, and continue to win games like this, it bodes well for their playoff chances. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants. You've got to be happy with the way the Cowboys played last week. I, I picked them. I also put some money on the Cowboys last week, RJ. So you should be uh, proud of me. I backed your boys here. Uh, I do think they get the win here against Eli Manning and the Giants, but I'll say this, it would be the the most sort of Eli Manning thing ever if he comes out and just wins this game a week after getting benched and all the all the uh, crap that he's had to endure over the last sort of 10 days. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's a large level of terror uh, in me, and I, I think the Cowboys played well last week, but I think I wrote about how it was a bit of a mirage. I mean, you look at it, the Cowboys only had 28 more offensive yards against Washington than they did against Los Angeles seven days before. And this game is weird. This game is weird for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, the, the Giants are wearing their color rush jerseys, uh, which is their their white color rush jerseys with the Giants on the helmet, which is a fantastic look, uh, which means the Cowboys are wearing their road Navy jerseys in New York, which is an extreme rare thing, uh, extremely rare thing. And, and on top of that, the Cowboys are changing it up and are wearing white pants uh, with their Navy uniforms, a, a first time uniform co- combination. Uh, and then on top of all that, you have Steve Spagnolo as the interim head coach who's had the Cowboys number for the better part of a decade. Uh, and beyond all of that, it was as uh, as an interim head coach in New York during Cowboys Giants when Jason Garrett made his debut as a head coach in the National Football League. It just it feels tense. And, and on top of this, this is Cowboys Giants. And it was it was flexed backwards to noon. There is all sorts of weirdness surrounding this game. Uh, and so I, I, I think the Cowboys win, but it is going to be very weird. I believe that with all my heart. Yep. Um, I love how excited you get about jerseys and uniform, uniform matchups and helmets. Um, I, I love it. It's, it's um, I mean that with the most sincere. I, I just love how excited you get about it. I feel like a proud father when you talk about that. Well, you'll be pleased to know then uh, that the Indianapolis Colts helmet is one of my favorites. There so go. good job. Cool. Um, I'll give you a stat. Um, I think when David Irving, Demarcus Lawrence, and Sean Lee start and complete a full game, all three of them together, the Cowboys are a nine and zero. They're great. I mean, there there there's some great players on the Cowboys defense, and people don't want to admit it, but that's the unit that's carrying this team uh, right now. And um, but but you're right. I mean, Eli Manning has. I, I've said this before. I mean, you know, Peyton had Brady. I feel like Romo and Eli are sort of a, a, a cheaper version of that, so to yeah. speak. Uh, but but they're, they're each other's Peyton and Brady, so to speak. Yeah. But I'll take um, the Brady and, in that matchup rather than the Manning. I, I'll take the Romo. Oh, I'll take Romo and Peyton oh, over Eli of, and Tom. Of course. Re- respect. But the, the yeah. point here is, is that Eli has made a 
living out of just destroying Cowboys fans' yeah. hearts. Being and, a terrorizing. And <laughs> like exactly. And, and, and while you said it would be the most Eli thing ever, it really truly would if in a totally lost season, the one sort of heroic effort the Giants and Eli Manning put forth was in their return to New York, uh, sort of a new chapter unfolding without Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese. The big bad Cowboys come to town, and while the Giants get a meaningless win, they essentially end the Cowboys' playoff hopes. That that just that feels like that feels like a chapter in the book of Cowboys Giants, honestly. In the book of Eli, uh, yeah, and it pushes well the Colts further down into the. Top maybe top two territory for the draft. Keep keep winning bad teams. Love it. Keep doing it. Um, all right, Philadelphia Eagles, Los Angeles Rams. I am super keen for this game. Get the popcorn out. Um, I think the Eagles will bounce back in a long way, uh, in a big way. Sorry, um, after their loss last week. Look, there was some unfortunate things in that game with the the as you said the pylon um, and the lateral and and Zach Ertz going out injured as well in that game. So a few things sort of really hurt the Eagles that. That game kind of got away from them, but it could have been a lot closer. But the Rams have been they've been really good um, over the over the last couple of weeks, and and they're firing on all cylinders. Aaron Donald is is probably your defensive player of the year, clubhouse leader at the moment. Although Demarcus Lawrence is definitely breathing down his back. I don't know where, which way to go with this game. It is a pure coin flip for me. Um, I the range of outcomes in this game are, are crazy. Like a double digit win to the Rams wouldn't shock me. A double digit win to the cow uh, to the Eagles wouldn't shock me. At all, I don't know. I don't know which way to go with this game. How long have we been talking? Why? What's the about an hour? Right, an hour this, this and ten minutes. Of, yep. As we've been talking about the NFL Week 14 of the season, playoff implications, all sorts of big epic storylines. We've been talking all week long, and in all of our conversation all week long. Not once has it come up that the number one and number two overall picks are squaring off against each other. Think about how buried. That storyline is. I, I that mean, just dawned on me. I, I just talked about this game. And I didn't even think of Wentz Goff. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. and, and obviously, and I know you know this well from, from the Luck RG3 days, but that's amazing that this is such a, a very minor detail. I mean, think think back to it was their first game, but Jameis Mariota in 2015. This is not only, you know, one, two up against each other, but one, two, both commanding NFC top dogs, both looking for first round buys, both looking to win the Super Bowl this year. This is literally what each of these teams wanted and desired and sort of planned for when they traded up. Yeah. And, and again, more than more than one and two traded up one and two. This is, I mean, sort of the the full pinnacle of that dream and it's amazing that it really is such a low level storyline yeah i think it'll start to heat up in the in the coming days but it really should be a prime time game i know raven steelers is always great but you know patriots dolphins is something i do not want to watch on a monday night football i wish they could have changed this matchup um because i think it deserves the prime time slot um you know golf went i'm gonna lean i'm gonna lean golf just because it's at home but as i said i'm more keen just to watch this game rather than uh, to to tip it or, or bet on it, um, it's just a from a grab my popcorn and and watch this game. I'm gonna lean Goff because he's got McVeigh. Uh, that's I'm gonna lean Goff because he's got McVeigh. I really think that Goff and Wentz are. I mean, this is so early and so premature, but they're comparable to Brady and Peyton to a degree. And and Goff is the Brady here in that he's got the Belichick. Uh, Wentz is is the Peyton and that he's sort of on his own in that fight. Yeah, I think if this matchup continues, it has the makings of of, of another great rivalry. I do think 
um, Dak Prescott being involved as well kind of makes it like a triple threat match as well. Um, whereas uh, with the co- he's not getting as much coaching help, Dak, um, at the moment, but uh, he does have you know the the tools there and the, and the offensive line to make this a, a triple threat going forward from next season. But yeah, I'll lean uh, I'll lean towards Goff. All right, uh, Ravens Steelers uh, Sunday night football. Um, I'll take the Steelers at home, um, but I am interested to see how this Ravens team goes. I mean, if the Steelers lost last night, um, this division would have been up for grabs in this game because the Ravens have a really cruisy schedule after this game, and the Steelers play the Patriots next week. So it's going to be a tough one, but I'll say this. I think Chris Boswell will kick kick them the winner in this one. will outlast Justin Tucker and the Ravens. Um, Boswell seems to uh, kick the Steelers to a couple of wins this year, and I think that will continue. I'm actually, surprisingly, even to my own self, going to take the Ravens. They play the Steelers so well. They know them so well. This is going to be such a great game. I, and I feel like this is a game where Joe Flacco plays well, just because that's kind of the way that this goes. I mean, I, I, and I don't, I don't mean Joe, statistically baby. Yeah, I don't think statistically well, but I think Joe Flacco, sort of like that Tom Savage throw you described in Tennessee, I think Joe Flacco just pulls off one of those signature Flacco deep bombs, uh, as you mentioned, the 2012 divisional round, obviously. And and I think the Ravens steal one here and keep the A of – because, again, ultimately, somehow, some way, everybody besides the Patriots have to collapse, and the Steelers are part of that everybody. So I think the Ravens get this win. Yep. Uh, I – don't disagree with that. I think I would have gone the Ravens, but the, the Jimmy Smith injury really hurts, and I think uh, Big Ben will be able to exploit that. New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, this is an easy one. I do not want to spend any more time on that, but say this, um, in DVOA, Miami ranked 30th on offense, 31st on defense. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL, if not the worst team, and the Pats are the best team in the NFL. I'll take the Pats. I hate watching the Dolphins in primetime. It's yeah. it's it's insulting. So yeah, I'll take the Patriots. I'm not I'm not really a fan of watching the Pats in primetime either. Um, it just ends up being because the games are blowouts and gets bored. It just it's just the commentators talking about Brady and Belichick nonstop for 30 minutes. I feel like I'm listening to Boston talkback radio at, at some point. That's that's fair. Yep. All right, that's RJ. Fair. That's uh that's that wraps up the show. Before we before we go. Please plug anything, uh, and, and thank you very much for filling in as a guest host. I think um, I may have to get you back in uh, next week because I have my Christmas party uh, this time next week at night, so I need to need to do the pod during the day. So uh, I think I might have to uh, get you on for one last uh, one last time. I'll be fine for that. So uh, to find me, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at RJ Ocho. You can watch my show and listen to it, Ocho Live, every day uh, on my Twitter at Periscope, the Blog on the Boys Facebook Live feed, or listen to the podcast. Uh, you can also catch me on the Wooten Y show occasionally, the best <laughs> podcast in the land. Uh, and you can read my work at uh, ESPNSA.com and blogoftheboys.com. Yep. And definitely recommend checking out Ocho Live. It's it's very, very worth it. Even if you're not a Cowboys fan, there's still plenty of other uh, good news and uh, NFL analysis there. And uh, we'll be back next week. Please check out the punt return. I went four out of five last week. And uh, please check out DFS Down Under as well. And we'll be talking next week. Thanks for listening to another installment of the Wooten Y Show. Check out previous episodes at WootenY.com and on iTunes. And follow each of the boys on Twitter at This Is Woot and at JYNFL. Or you can follow the podcast at WootenY. Y.